all right, so at this point, you can open up your Bibles to James uh, chapter 1. So if you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one in a seat back in front of you that has hopefully a bookmark that should get you to James. Also, if you um, are a guest with us this morning, you haven't been around for the last few weeks, at the front table, just a smorgasbord of stuff to get, cards and books. Um, if you didn't grab one on your way in, if you're a guest with us, we do have these James notebooks uh, that have the text of the scripture right there and then some blank pages for you to take notes. That's our gift to you. So uh, if you haven't gotten one of those, you can go ahead and grab one from the front table as well. So uh, James 1 is where we're going to be. And as you're turning there and getting settled, I want to thank our Grace Place volunteers, um, our Grace Place team, our children's ministry team, uh, serve and love the kids of this church. And as we grow and as uh, more and more kids get added, it is a great blessing to have them up there, to have people who care about seeing um, future generations of people, seeing these kids learn about the love of God and the character of God and the will of God, uh, that they might come to know him as Father and Savior and walk with him for a long, long time. So everybody who's part of Grace Place, thank you. As a dad, thank you for loving and caring for these kids. Um, if that is a ministry that interests you at all, uh, we'd love to talk to you about adding you to just even giving you a chance to go up there and see what's going on and see how um, how the days run and, and what that could look like for you to get involved. Um, so obviously with our kids ministry, there is some other steps we're going to take, some background checks and trainings and health and all of those kind of things. Make sure everybody's uh, the right people are where they're supposed to be. But it is, a, it is an awesome ministry. It's a great place to be and a, and a wonderful, uh, important ministry in our church. So everybody that's in Grace Place, thank you uh, very, very much. So, um, All right, so we are in James. We take a book of the Bible in general. We take a book of the Bible and just kind of walk straight through. And so we are in James uh, this morning. And so last week, we, as we studied James, we were talking about the difference between temptation and trial. We said in the Greek, it's the same word, but it's the context that changes what is a temptation versus a trial and how we can rest and trust in the character and will of God because in him there is no fault, there is no darkness, there is no evil. There is nothing within the character of God that would or could be lured toward evil, which means we can trust him always. And when he calls us to take a step, we know he is never going to put us into harm's way where we are going to be tempted to walk away from him. He is all holy, all righteous, and all pure. And anything we have that is good and perfect, we have from God, not only personally, but in this world, including and especially the eternal life, the new life, the spiritual rebirth that we receive through putting our faith in Jesus. We are a new creation in Christ Jesus, and that new creation should look and sound and be different. Not just in action, not just in activity, but in our hearts and minds. We have been changed and renewed. Who we are, not just what we do, who we are should be different and changed by and through our relationship with God. And so as we close out chapter 1 of James, he's going to address us and as these first fruits that he talked about in verse 18, these set-apart ones, and we're going to see some instruction that James has for us, and then a metaphor to help us understand, and an example of what it is that he's talking about. So we have some instruction, we got a metaphor, and we have an example. That's the plan for this morning. Uh, I'm going to pray, and uh, I, pray, I would ask you to pray with me, and then we will jump into James 1. So please bow your heads, and uh, let's go to God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you uh, for days where we get to gather. Um, God, we thank you for this place, this building, this community that you established long, long, long ago and have continued uh, to keep in this neighborhood. God, we thank you for the opportunity to gather and 
hear your word and sing praises to you and lift prayers to you and open your word and, and be in your presence, God. We know we can be in your presence that you have given us the Holy Spirit. We are with you. You are with us all the time. We have access to you all the time. But God, there's something about a Sunday. There's something about gathering with your people, gathering with people who want to hear from you, who want to engage with you and connect with you. And we do it together. Yes, as individuals, but we do it together as a, as a body, as a family. We get to come together and, and hear your word and read and respond to it. God, as we hear from you this morning, there are lots of things vying for our attention, vying for our dedication and our desires. God, help us to set things aside because you have a word for us this morning. You have a reason we're here this morning. You got us up. You got us here, even through the rain and the cold. You got us here today because you got something to say to us. So God, I pray that I would get out of your way, that you would do a work here this morning. Lord, I pray that as I preach, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be glorifying to you. We pray these things because of Jesus and in his name. Amen. All right, so we're going to be in James 1. We're going to start in verse 19. We'll go read through the end of the chapter, and then we'll go back and talk about it. So James 1, starting in verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers and sisters. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So as I said, we got an instruction, we have a metaphor, and we got an example. So let's start with the instruction. In verse 18, we, we ended last week where James said that we are, um, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures, the set-apart ones, the ones who are dedicated to declare the goodness of God. The first fruits of the harvest were the set-apart. This was offered, given as an offering by God's people to say, God, thank you for the harvest. Thank you for providing for us. We give this to you. And so James here is saying, we... God's people, God's sons and daughters, we are those first fruits, those ones set apart to declare the goodness and faithfulness of God. And so to live as his first fruits, here's what it looks like. And he's talked about enduring trials and temptations. And as we do that, as we walk through life and we endure trials and tribulations, James says, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. This threefold list, quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, is a big picture summary, really, of the rest of James's letter. Everything kind of falls into those three categories, one or the other, or sometimes both, or sometimes two or three of them. Um, but really, this idea of being quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, really kind of is a big picture view of what James is getting at in his letter. We are to be quick to hear, quick to listen. We'll listen to who, listen to what. 
Be quick to listen rather than speak when dealing with others is always good, sound advice. Slow down and listen. Pay attention. Don't try to be the smartest person in the room all the time. Don't jump in and make it about yourself. Don't assume you have every answer to every question or situation. Sometimes the best things, the holiest thing, the wisest thing to do is to just be present. The ministry of presence, to just be with someone as they walk through hard things. It reveals a heart of compassion and humility in the Christian. But stepping away from interactions with others, what about our interactions with God? He said in verse 18 that we are brought forth by the word of truth. God's word is the seed that bears us, that bore us. We, so we need to be quick to listen to the word of God. When faced with hard things, when faced with frustrating situations, when faced with trials or temptations in our lives, rather than base our reactions primarily on our own desires, or our own experiences, or the opinions of others, what if we were quick to go to the Word of God for truth, insight, and guidance? Whether it's relationships with people or a relationship with God, in general, our natural reaction, our, our default wiring leads us to do the opposite of what James is calling us to here, right? He wouldn't tell us to do this if it was natural for us. But our default tends to be slow to listen and quick to speak, and because we don't listen, quick to anger. What if we just slowed down? What if we didn't constantly have to give our opinion on everything instantly? What if when someone offends us, someone wrongs us, someone falls short, someone sins against us, what if instead of immediately casting judgment, immediately throwing fireballs, we took the time to hear them out? We withheld our opinions and our judgments. We didn't let rage and anger be the driving force of our interactions. How often do we get caught up in, well, I'm fighting for God. I'm fighting for justice. I'm fighting for the right thing. And in doing so, we lose sight of what it is we're actually fighting for, and we end up fighting against the will of God. When we are so concerned with all the things that we are against, and standing up against this and yelling about that and arguing and fighting and adding more and more dissension to the conversation, we lose sight of the things that we are for and we lose sight of being a light that glorifies God and reflects his grace and mercy and love and justice to the world. What can start as a very noble cause of defending a biblical view of marriage or abortion or how to be a citizen under a government you might not agree with or just disagreeing with a friend on a decision that they are making, it can take a real ugly turn real quick into hate and rage and sin in the blink of an eye. And it takes you from defending your faith to attacking others for what you believe is a lack of it. When we see injustice in the world, yes, we should stand up and call out evil and sin. Amen. That's what the church is to do. That's what Christians are to do. When we see those things, we are to stand up against those things. But when everything we as Christians are known for is covered in rage and venom, where do we leave room for the sweetness of grace, the pleasures of mercy, and the joy of love? The gospel, God's story is one of God reaching out to us and offering us life, life we could not earn or win or gain on our own. 
And if we are going to be a people driven by the gospel, then we should be about offering life to others. And that starts by being a people who are quick to listen, slow to speak, and for the love of all that is good and holy, slow to anger. James gives us a reason for this in verse 20. He says, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. There is something called righteous anger. It's a thing, right? Anger of itself is not bad. Psalm 4.4, it says, be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Uh, Paul will say the same thing. He'll quote it even in Ephesians 4.26. He'll say, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. You can be angry, but the Bible tells us do not let and allow that anger to lead you toward sin. But what happens more times than not is that the anger of man leads to violence, destruction, pain, suffering, hurt, and sin. Because our anger differs from Jesus's, from God's anger. Because that anger, the anger that God has, the anger you see with people immediately say, well, Jesus got angry, he flipped tables in the temple. Right. That anger that God has that we see play out sometimes in the Old Testament, you see Jesus in the New Testament, is based and grounded in perfect righteousness and justice. We don't have either of those. Our anger is grounded in our own desires, in our own ideals, in our own passions, and flawed, finite view of how we think things should work out. And so to counter the propensity we have for sinful anger, James calls us instead to re-examine our focus in verse 21. He says the righteousness of God that's mentioned in verse 20, it can be developed. He says, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And in 21, he says, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. That righteousness in verse 20, it can be developed within us by putting away, getting rid of all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receiving with meekness the implanted word. Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. All means all. There's not like the trick in the Greek where it's like, ah, it really means, no, all means all. Clean out the clutter, clear up the diet. Right? If your physical heart has problems, the doctors will do a bunch of things to get you healthy. One of those things is that the doctor will tell you to change your diet, to eat clean. Right? Cut out the salts and the sugars and alcohol and excessive additives. Eat clean. Eat a little more bland. What's the doctor trying to do? The doctor is trying to allow your heart to work at its best. And eating a healthy diet removes some of the hindrances for your heart to pump and work and be as strong as it can be. And as you do that, you begin to see not only your heart works better, but your stomach as well. Right? Because you go from processed food and food that is devoid of nutrition to healthier alternatives, and it cleans out the garbage and sludge in your arteries and your intestines. That's what James is saying here in a spiritual sense. You want to get spiritually healthy? You want your heart to work properly? You want to be a person who is known as compassionate? Be a person who is known for their care for others? You want to be a person who actually can pursue righteous anger, who actually does get angry in the way that God gets angry and stands up for injustice and pain and places where people are being mistreated, you want to be that person who is in tune with the will and direction of God, then you got to eat clean. James says step one is eliminate the filthiness and rampant wickedness. Because when what you listen to, what you read, what you watch, 
engages, what you engage with on a daily basis is constantly angry and racist and judgmental and excessively violent and sexual and just negative. That stuff seeps into your heart and your head and your your brain. So stop making excuses for why you consume the spiritual equivalent of gas station hot dogs when you have a full and complete nutritious meal here in the Word of God. Think about your week for a second. 168 hours. Take out 45 hours for sleep. I'm being real generous. I know we got a lot of new parents in the room. Let's cut out 45. So now you're down to 123. We're at a full-time job or close to it. Let's call it 40 hours. Now you're down to 83. Church is roughly, if you come and you're chit-chatting and hanging out, let's call it two hours. You're down to 81. 81 hours a week. Of that 81, what's your percentage of filthiness and rampant wickedness that you are consuming or committing versus time spent engaging with God, the God of all existence, who clearly in his word says, I want to talk to you. I want to have a relationship with you. I want to be in deep connection with you. Now, look, if you've been around CF long enough, you know this is not a legalistic thing, right? This is not cut out all the fun, don't engage with the world, go sit in silence in a blank room with a King James Bible you don't understand, and the room is totally bare except for a weird old crucifix on it. That's not what we're talking about here. What I'm saying is evaluate your time. Evaluate the time you are giving to the things in your life that in essence are clogging your spiritual arteries versus the ones that are making you more and more into the image and likeness of Christ. One of those things leads to an unrighteous, unholy, ugly anger. The other, when received with meekness, see humility, can save your soul. Eternally, it is the word of God that we hear, the good news, the gospel that we hear, that we are given, that we receive. We don't take, we were given it, we receive it, and we are saved. That when we hear it with humility, when we receive it with humility, a right understanding of who we are and where we are and what we are, enemies and rebels of God by nature, condemned to hell for our sin and instead are in desperate need of a savior for our salvation. And that Savior is the Son of God, Jesus, who lived a perfect life, died a painful death, and on the third day revealed his authority over all of existence, including death and hell, through his powerful resurrection. That there is hope and life and grace and mercy and justice and love and forgiveness found in the humble hearing and believing of the Word of God. But even before eternity, even before we get there, here and now, when we receive the word of God with humility, when we have the wisdom to use the knowledge and understanding that given to us by God here and now, it leads to an abundant and full life. Our lives can be saved from experiencing the spiritual decay and death brought about by living in a selfish, self-righteous, self-indulgent existence. There is life to be found In these words, not just for eternity, yes, for eternity, but also for us here and now. There is wisdom and guidance and helpful instruction on how not to just exist, not just get by, not just kind of get through life, but to truly and fully thrive and engage in the world and existence that God gave us. But just like knowledge without application, it is just facts and figures, just owning the book. 
and even just reading it to check off some sort of box that makes you think that you are a good Christian is not what is going to grow you. And that leads us to what James, and James understands that, and he wants us to understand that, and so he gives us a, me- a metaphor in verse 24, starting in verse 22. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he is like. Here's what James means when he said we are to receive the implanted word. To respond to what God has to say. To respond to the word of God. Those who are hearers only are deceiving themselves, are kidding themselves, are lying to themselves. To hear the word and not respond is a broken needle. You are missing the point. So you could be in church every Sunday. You can hear thousands upon thousands of sermons. You can go home and read your Bible cover to cover. You could be one of those people who does it in a whole year. But if none of it changes you, if none of it changes your heart, if you hear and read the commands of God to go and do and share and love and engage and you do nothing, you have completely missed what you have spent so many hours investing into. James says you are the person who looks intently at themselves in the mirror. Intently looks with careful scrutiny and examination. Not just glance at yourself on the way out the bathroom, but fully examine the face looking back at you. You do that and you walk away and you forget what you just saw. James is giving us a picture of a person seeing themselves and doing nothing about the information that they have received. You stand in front of the mirror and you look at yourself and then you walk away and you leave the spinach in your teeth. You look at yourself in the mirror and you leave the bathroom with the hair wild and out of control. You leave with that cut from your razor still bleeding, not doing anything to stop it. In your reading and hearing of the word, God is drawing your attention to your life, to the places of your heart and mind that he wants to correct, that he wants to strengthen, that he wants to redeem. But you refuse how unstable, how ridiculous to forget what you just saw. You've been given information, you've been given guidance, and you walk away as if you have no idea what it's talking about. Whether it be a conviction of sin or an unearthing of a past trauma that needs to be dealt with or just reinforcing your identity in Christ and who God is. To engage with God's word and do nothing about it is to walk around not knowing what your own face looks like. Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All of scripture is for all of us. The one who hears and never responds to what God is saying is the person who looks in the mirror and immediately forgets the face that they see. But in verse 25, it says, The one who hears and reads and engages with God's word and perseveres in responding, for them there is blessing available. Why? Because the word of God, he says, is the law of liberty. It is the law of freedom. And I like that James says there in verse 25 that we have to do this. The one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres. I like that he says we need to persevere in doing this because it's not easy. It isn't always fun. To have the word of God do work to change and reshape and recalibrate our hearts and minds. It's 
it, it takes time and it takes perseverance and to unlearn bad habits and bad beliefs and bad theology and unhealthy ways of living. It takes perseverance to keep showing up, knowing God is doing a hard work on our hard hearts. Paul says in Ephesians 2.10, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. A long time ago, I had that verse taught to me, and because of the illustration, the person, the, the person talked about a sculptor, and that's what I always see when I hear that verse read. This idea of a sculptor hammer and chisel, and that sculptor takes that chisel and, and sharpens that blade because he wants to create something out of a hunk of wood, a hunk of stone. And so he places that chisel on the stone, and then with great force and strength, he hits it with a hammer. I don't know if you've ever seen a sculptor work, but as he does that, pieces crack and fall away. Over and over, big chunks and, and little slivers are sliced and carved and broken. It is a messy, hard process. Stone can't feel pain. Wood doesn't feel discomfort. But we can. And sometimes when God is doing a work in us, when he has taken that chisel and hammer to us to create something more beautiful, to make us more and more into his image and likeness, sometimes it hurts, sometimes it's uncomfortable. We've got to trust him. We've got to trust that he knows best, that he is good, that he is in control of all things at all times, that he knows what he is doing. And that trust comes from knowing him. And he has revealed himself in his word. That's how we get to know him. It's not always easy. It's not always fun. But there is value in the end as we allow the great sculptor to make us into the work of art that he created us to be. If we will trust him, there is great benefit. Jesus said something very similar. Unsurprisingly, if you've been in this study, he says it to close out the Sermon on the Mount, which is what James has been referring to over and over again. In Matthew 7, Jesus gives this illustration and he says, Everyone who hears this word of mine and does, and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and do, does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was its fall. Hearing the word of God, reading the word of God, taking it in, memorizing it, meditating on it, it's good, it's great. But without a response, we are missing the point. James calls us to be a doer of the word. And just like he did with wisdom earlier in the beginning as he talked about wisdom and, and wanting and asking God for wisdom and how that actually can play out, he gives us some, some examples of what it looks like to be a doer of the word there in verses 26 and 27. He starts verse 26 speaking about the tongue. He says, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. A person who cannot bridle, cannot control their tongue, their religion is worthless. He uses the image of a bridle worn by horses to control them, to make them go the way in which the rider wants them to. 
The tongue can be controlled, and James is going to expound on this later on. We're going to get to chapter 3, and we're going to talk a lot about the tongue. But here, it's pretty clear. A person who cannot control their tongue, their religion, their acts, their outward actions are worthless, shallow, hollow, and empty. Whether it's impure speech, or even just hiding behind, you know, I'm just being a truth teller. I'm just, I'm just telling you like it is. I'm just being honest. What we say and how we say it matters and is a direct indicator of whether or not we are merely hearers of God's words or doers. Remember how this section started, right? We are to be slow to speak. We are to be controlled when and how we speak. James is going to close out this section and close out chapter 1, and he talks about a practical example of what it means to be a doer of the word. Verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. If we read God's word, the more and more we understand his character and more uh, character and will, the more and more we see his heart, the compassion that God has for those in society that are oppressed, mistreated, and taken advantage of. Orphans and widows at the time were of the weakest, the most helpless. They were ignored and cast out. They were victims of social Darwinism. But from the beginning, God has been about taking care of them. In the Old Testament, he goes out of his way multiple times. He goes out of his way in the law as he calls a people together, as he takes Israel, these ran, this random people, and he makes them into a people, into a, a community, into a nation. And he gives them a law to help guide them and lead them in reflecting his presence to the world. In doing that, they are to be marked by compassion and care for the weakest and most vulnerable that society has to offer. In Exodus 22, verse 21, it says, You shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will burn and I will kill you with the sword and your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. God takes this seriously. Deuteronomy 27, 19, Cursed be anyone who perverts the justice due to the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, and all the people shall say amen. One more for you, Deuteronomy ten seventeen. For the Lord your God is the God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. So love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. We heard that phrase a couple of times, this idea of being sojourners in the land of Egypt. Often God would remind his people when he spoke to them of their past. as a way of reminding them of who he is and who they are. He would repeatedly remind them, look, we, I brought you out of slavery and I'm the same God. I'm the same I was back then. I'm the one who brought you out of slavery. I'm the one who made you a people. I'm the one who rescued you and cared for you and gave you hope and made you a community and made you a nation. Remember that I am for you. If we were to speak similar, if God were to speak similarly today to the church, he would remind us that when we were at our weakest, when we were at our most helpless and our most hopeless, unable to fix, unable to fend off, unable to do anything to save ourselves, God saved us. God provided a way. God invited us into his family. 
Not through plagues and laws written on tablets, but through the giving of his son as a sacrifice in our place for our sins with the message of the gospel written on our hearts. He calls us to live that out. James finishes this chapter, he finishes this section with the phrase, keep unstained from the world. What he's not saying, he's not saying the Christian is to hide and escape from the world. We don't retreat and run and just try and hide and keep ourselves until Christ comes back. Let's just run the clock out until Jesus comes. Rather, we are in the world. We are in the world, but not of the world. We are the lights in the darkness. We are the salt of the earth. It means we engage with this world. We love this world, but we don't get overtaken by it. We don't get consumed and conformed by it. But rather, we remember first and foremost, we are aliens and sojourners, that this ain't home. And so we are going to be different because we have an entirely different culture and connection, a completely different mindset, a completely different value set than that of the world. This place, this community, this church, and the millions around it, they are not private, gated communities designed to only let the best of the best in. These are to be places of hope and compassion and welcome and rest for any and everyone who is looking for it. Jesus said it from the beginning in Mark 2, those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. We are jars of clay, movable, breakable, and temporary. But God has chosen to place within us his spirit, his power, so that we can be lights in the darkness, illuminating a path for others toward God for their existence. We are not perfect. The church is not perfect. We are screwed up. We are hypocrites, liars, and cheaters. Christians don't have it all together. We aren't excused from suffering, and we aren't somehow kept from sin. We have flaws and chips and cracks and scratches within us. God knows all of that. He sees all of that and still says, I'm going to use her. I'm going to use him. And how much more impressive is it that God would use us for his purpose and plan? It makes his redemption of mankind that much more impressive when he invited humans to be part of sharing and spreading and living out the role as the child of God here on earth. Because he knew we'd screw it up. He knew we weren't going to do it perfectly. He knew we were going to do things that were counter to his will. And yet, it has not over time derailed, detained, or destroyed the message of the gospel. It's still here. It's still going forward. People are still continuing to hear the gospel, receive it, and find new life. The church is not perfect. It's going to be messy. We're going to do this messy it's going to be hard and uncomfortable at times and even inconvenient when we are in community together. That's what James is getting at here. We read the book and we engage with God and he reveals his character to us, his will for us, his people, his church, and it should stir in us something to respond. We can't go to the word and read it like it's a dead, ancient philosophy, but rather it is the living, active, breathing word of God, the God of all existence, the creator and of all existence. And it matters just as much when James penned it as it does today. 
We can't take the word of God and run it through our 21st century filter trying to debate and determine what parts of it are historical and what parts don't matter anymore and what parts are cultural and what do we have to actually listen to and not listen to. And we try and find these loopholes for when we can obey the word of God and when it just doesn't have to apply to us. We need to see this as what it is and read it for what it is. God revealing himself to us, that should spark something in us. That should do something to us. And as we learn the heart of God and the compassion of God and the justice and the mercy and the love and the power and the majesty and on and on, how do we just sit on our hands and not feel drawn to do more than just write a check to battle homelessness, but rather actually engage with that person with the cardboard sign? I said from the beginning of this study, and I want to keep beating it into our heads, especially with a passage like this morning. James, the book gets this rap as this, like, do better, try harder book. Right? Here's a bunch of things to make you a better Christian. And I get why it's viewed that way, right? But there's so much more going on here. Remember, James is a pastor at his heart. He has a heart for these people he's writing to. He's not writing to instill a bunch of rules and laws and instructions on do better, try harder. We got to see past that. It's easy. It's easy to land there. It's easy for me to come up here and say, okay, application for this week, read your Bible, cancel Netflix, go to an old folks' home and play cards. Go in peace. But if all our faith is is just a to-do list for next week, if there's no heart behind it, if there's no joy behind it, there's no desire behind it, then we are deceiving ourselves and our religion, our work, our actions are worthless. This is not about do's and don'ts. we got to look past that. What James is getting at, what the Bible is getting at, what God is calling us into this morning is an enjoyment of him and a relationship with him. When you're in a relationship of any kind, romantic or otherwise, you do kind things for the other person. Why? Not out of duty, not out of routine. You do it because you like the person, you enjoy the person, and you want to respond to the joy that that person instills in you to them. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. In response to the love, in response to the kindness, in response to the compassion and mercy and grace offered to us by God through putting our faith in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, how can the response be anything but enjoyment of him? Anything but delight and excitement to get to know him deeper and deeper. And as we delight in God, as we enjoy him, as we walk with him, as we know him more and more, what should and what will come bubbling out of our soul is an obedience and trust in his word. Because as James said in verse 25, his word is the law of liberty. It is the law of freedom. So we should enjoy him and enjoy his presence and enjoy the relationship he has been given to us through our faith in Christ. And as we respond to God and know him more and more, watch what he's going to do in and through your actions. As you know him more and more, you are going to not be able to help but respond. Show up. Pay attention. Be slow to listen. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Show up in this world. Don't, don't just ignore. Don't just put your head down and try to get through. God gave you today not just to get you to tomorrow. He gave you today for a purpose. Show up in this world. 
with a heart focused on knowing God more and more and reflecting him brighter and brighter. And I promise you will see that your faith is a faith that works. Let's pray. God, sometimes our hearts are inclined toward the spiritual checklist. We want the list. We want the direct instruction on how to best do this thing. We want the do's and don'ts. Whether or not we like them, we, we actually do want them because it gives us an idea of where we stand. It makes us feel like we're in control. makes us think that we can do something to earn and win your favor. God, remind us of grace. Remind us of your mercy. God, help us to just enjoy you. God, we want to be people. I want to be a person like David who says, I, I delight in the law of the Lord. The first thing in the morning, it's what's on my mind. And last thing in the evening, it's what's on my mind. To be a people who delight in knowing you and, and in engaging with your word. And as we know you more and more, as, we, as you reveal yourself more and more to us through your word and through your world, God, help us be a people who respond to it, to not just take it for facts and figures and information, to not just try and be the smartest person in the room, but rather to be a people who respond to what you are calling us to, to be a people of love and compassion and grace and mercy. God, don't let me forget, don't let us forget the gospel. Help us to rediscover it, re-remember it every morning, every day. Because when we remember who we were without Christ, when we remember the helplessness and the hopelessness and the lost, how can we not respond? How can we not be compassionate because we've received your compassion? How can we not be gracious because we've received your grace? How can we not be merciful because we've received your mercy? God, make us make people like that. Give us hearts like that. Let this church, let the church, the big C church be known as a people of compassion and grace and mercy. Yes, of truth. Yes, of standing up for what is right and standing for justice. But God, give us a heart to know you more. God, help us as we study James. Help us to, to push against the, the, the checklist idea. Help us to push back against the do's and don'ts and, and to see what you are really calling us to, and that's a heart that knows you and walks with you. God, soften our hearts. God, help us to enjoy you. You are the creator of all existence, and you made this world in such a way 
that points to your goodness. You didn't have to give us color. You didn't have to give us smell. You didn't have to give us taste. You didn't have to make anything about this existence beautiful, but you did. You gave us a world that we can enjoy. God, help us as we see it, as we enjoy it, to enjoy you, to let it lead us toward you. As we engage in relationships, as we engage in community, God, help that to be to remind us of you and to point us to you. Over and over, you're calling us to yourself. Over and over, you're giving us these pointers, these common graces, these, these intentional graces, these places where you say, just come and be with me. Look. God, help us to look. It is so noisy. It is so loud. It is so distracting in this world. God, help us to fix our eyes on you, to enjoy you. Because I know when we enjoy you, I know when we delight in you, our response is going to be compassion. Our response is going to be as people who are not just hearers of the word, but doers. God, give us a heart for you. Give us a heart for compassion and for mercy and grace. God, help us to enjoy you. And we thank you and praise you. Amen.